0: threefold purpose this evening. One, to build up your faith. Two, to help you be an effective witness to others. And then thirdly, to just equip the the church for the last days in which we live. And we'll be taking a look at, at all of that. If you don't mind, please turn to Genesis chapter 44. This is the story of Joseph. And I'm sure most of you are very familiar with that study. Joseph goes all the way back to Genesis 37, for anyone who doesn't know this, and you know the the history, I'll give a little summary while you turn there, but in Genesis, building up to Genesis 44, we see that Joseph is kind of the favored son, but he was disliked by much of his family, sold into slavery, Um, he would be taken very low and humbled, but then eventually elevated to the second in, in command in Egypt, and eventually his brothers are sent to Egypt to go try to get food from the famine. And so um, the the brothers end up going over there and Joseph recognizes them and sort of starts to test them and, um, and discipline them in a sense. And as you all know, Joseph places the cup in Benjamin's sack, Benjamin being sort of the the closest brother, he's J- Joseph's brother, but he's sort of the, you know, uh, to Jacob, he's, he's sort of favored because he reminds um, him of, of Joseph and Joseph's mother and everything. So, so uh, Jacob certainly didn't want to lose Benjamin, but Joseph holds uh, Benjamin, or he kind of frames J- Benjamin. So as we see this all unfolding, we see Judah start to take a leadership role And picking this up in verse 18 of Genesis 44, please. Then Judah came near to him and said, Oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing, and do not let your anger burn against your servant, for you are even like Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age who is young. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of him his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, "'Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him.' And we said to my lord, "'The lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die.' But you said to your servants, "'Unless your younger brother comes, youngest brother comes down with you, you shall see my face no more.' So it was when we went up to your servant, my father, and we told him the words of my lord. And our father said, "'Go back and buy us a little food.' But we said, "'We cannot go down. If our youngest brother is with us, then we will go down.' For we may not see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons, and the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. But if you take this one also from me, and calamity befalls him, you shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Now therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen that when he sees the lad is not with us, that he will die. So your servants will bring down the, your, your bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, to the grave. For your servant, that's Judah re- referring to himself, became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do, do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers for how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father? Chapter 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, making everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. So very uh, very interesting se- section, very touchy, touching section there. First of all, you can see why the Messianic line came through Judah because you see the, the heart of Judah. This is something I just had the privilege to teach the youngsters over in a class just a couple of weeks ago, just just teaching them how the Messianic line, how it came through Judah, Jude, Judah being one of the uh, great, great, great grandfathers of Jesus eventually. So you can see why the Messianic line came through Judah because Judah's heart was was finally kind of mature and he wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking... Let all these go. Just take me instead. I'll be the sureties. So, you see the heart of the Messiah in Judah there. In chapter forty-five, verse one, there's something very interesting there. When you, if you read that and notice it, um, you see that Joseph is preparing to deal with his brothers directly, and he sends out everyone. It's very interesting how he does that. How Joseph sends out the Gentile service. In a sense, it's almost a foreshadowing of the rapture. When, the, when Jesus as Messiah is ready to reveal himself to Israel and Israel is ready to repent, then the Gentile servants are sent away. And that's not the only place where that happens. But it's very interesting that that's a foreshadowing of the, the rapture, sort of when the, the Gentile church is kind of taken out of the way and Joseph is prepared to reveal, reveal himself to his, to his brothers remembering that Joseph is, at this point, to the brothers, he's a pagan king. They don't know who he is, and that's similar to how many Jewish people see Jesus today. They think he's, you know, they think that he's sort of the God of the Catholics. When you watch those videos, the One for Israel videos, a number of them actually say that. They think that Jesus is Italian. They think that he's Catholic. Who's the person on the cross? They say all that, not realizing, you know, his, his heritage, how he's, a Jewish person as well. So it's really fascinating to see that, and that's exactly what is foreshadowed in Genesis chapter 44 and 45, where the, the brothers simply don't recognize who Joseph is. Many Jewish people today, most Jewish people today, don't yet recognize who Jesus is as Messiah, but like the gentleman spoke, and many other have said as well, they're, they're starting to see that, and, and they... Um, their misconceptions are, they, you know, the, in a sense, the veil is being removed. So, uh, but the pattern is this, that when, Ju- when Judah repents, Judah sort of being representative of all the brothers and the whole family. When Judah repents, that's when Jesus as the Messiah reveals himself. And same thing again, when, when the Jewish people repent, when they start to actually, when they seek the Lord, that's when Jesus will reveal himself. He'll, he'll send the Gentile church out of the way, as pictured here as well. So there's a lot of patterns in the Bible. The book of Esther has another important pattern for us where you see Queen Vashti, where she's a Gentile queen, and she apparently is, is a little bit haughty or proud, and she actually dishonors the king. And so you see the king actually turning to Esther. So in a sense, that's a foreshadowing of you see the Gentile church dishonoring the king and the Lord, or the king in this case, turning back to the Jews. Same way that when the, um, you know, when the, when the Gentile church, predominantly Gentile church, falls away, so to speak, then the Lord will be turning his attention back to a one-on-one relationship with the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. So you see that, and again, with everything that, you know, Pastor Tim does such a, a wonderful job teaching the Word of God, being faithful, but so many churches are starting to go astray. I think we could all, we could all you know, relate seeing something or another where churches are, are getting off the, the track a little bit. And so if the Gentile church... Dishonors the Lord, then that's also a prophecy being fulfilled before our eyes, which is Romans chapter eleven, that the Gentiles also may be cut off, that the natural branches may be grafted in again. So, a couple of patterns there for you from the Old Testament, where you see the um, you see jo- Joseph depicting Jesus as Messiah, and you see the brothers realizing who he is, and you see that veil being taken down, and then you see the people, the Jewish people turning to Jesus again. And we know this from other parts in the scripture too, but with a 25-minute message, there's a lot to, to cover. If you could please turn to Isaiah 53. I'm certain that you all know that very well. Isaiah 53 is one of the most powerful sections proving Jesus as Messiah, bearing in mind Isaiah wrote this around 700 years before the time of Jesus. I'm, I'm certain most people here have gone through this. When you see the One for Israel videos, this is the most commonly referenced scripture or event or anything that convinces the Jewish person to understand this. In fact, it's forbidden to be read by the rabbis and so forth. It'll, it'll sometimes be cut out. And, and um, so, this is the most commonly referenced scripture. That you'll see, and it's it's not just important for Jewish people; it's important for Gentiles, it's important for for anyone that you may be talking to, and uh, I love to use it as well, just because it's so powerful. When you see these, you'll actually see Sam Nadler's testimony, and I just watched it again this evening because I love it. But Sam was invited to a Bible study, and he went there with the intent of sort of making fun. He didn't know what it was exactly, and and so he goes with the intent of of sort of poking fun at them, and so then the the Christians there at the Bible study they open up the they open up the Bible and they start opening up to Isaiah 53 and he he starts to get concerned about who this is and like whoa and he he says that sounds like the unmentionable guy the guy we can't even talk about that sounds just like him in fact he he even talks about like he's dead how can he be doing stuff after he's dead and you see Sam acting out how confused he was, and he was like, well, this is a little too much for me. So he had gone there to to poke fun, but um, it, it's only been recently that I've noticed how much is actually packed in Isaiah 53. You see the life, the ministry, the torturous death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus the Messiah all in one chapter. It's incredible, and I hadn't really even put together how much there really is in that, but his life, he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. I'll, I'll kind of read through these and sort of paraphrase as well, but he, he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and a root out of dry ground. So the cross-reference to this is the reference to the rod of the stem of Jesse, the branch growing out of his roots. That's from Isaiah 11.1, 1. but interesting term. We'll uh, we'll come back to that a little bit, but noticing the term the branch there in in capital letters from Isaiah chapter 11. Both of these are messianic terms here in Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 11, talking about the, the branch, the rod, all of that symbolism there. You see his ministry and his death. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgressions of my people was he stricken. So you see this very strong terminology, he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of, of the people. In, cha- in verse 9, you see the burial, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. And then finally, the resurrection in verse twelve, therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide this I'm sorry, divide the spoil with the strong because he has poured out his soul unto death. So you see this where he is actually doing things after he had died, and that's something that perplexed even Sam right in the bible study and after the Bible study, he left a little bit disheartened, and it just stuck with him. he wasn't able to shake that sense like. I'm, I'm missing something here, and these people have something that I don't have. But you'll see Isaiah 53 mentioned a lot in those testimonies, and they are, they are wonderful. So I would, I would recommend being very familiar with it and being prepared to, to use it to anyone because it's such powerful evidence. As stated, our faith is not in vain. It's evidence-based. It's impossible. This can't happen for all of the predictions about the, regarding the Messiah to happen just it's all fulfilled in Jesus, like this. So suppose you have someone where they then present an argument like, "Well, isn't the Messiah supposed to be coming at a future time?" And that's the current belief of many Jewish people today. Is if if they're religious at all, if they're not secular, but or or even partially religious, they they kind of have a sense that oh, well, the Messiah is supposed to be coming. Well, here's here's a uh, some equipment for handling that situation as well. If, um, actually one thing that's very interesting, back in August of 2016, there, are a num- there were a number of Jews locked arm in arm at, at the wailing wall singing for the Messiah to come. So there's actually quite an expectation developing among the Jewish people. You can see that on YouTube where it wasn't this past, it wasn't just last month, but w- a year ago, where the Jewish people were locked arm, arm in arm, singing for the Messiah to come. There's getting to be an interest in the temple being built again as well, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. But that's sort of the Jewish expectation, is that the Messiah is yet to come. But there's a proof text against that. If you could please turn to Daniel chapter 9. So many of you are familiar with Daniel 9. It, it's one incredible chapter. It's another one to sort of always have ready, so to speak. But Daniel 9, verses 24 through 27, refer to they, it's the prophecy to, referring to the coming of the Messiah. And I'll, I'll summarize the whole thing, and then I'll make it a little bit easier to use for you. In verses 25 and 26 together, that describes a total of 69 weeks prior to the coming and the death of the Messiah. So we're looking at a 69-week period. A week is a reference to a seven-year period, so not to be confused with this. And I think most of you know it here, if anybody's watching on the live stream, that's what it's referring to. It's a seven-year period. So we're talking about a period of, of, of um, 69 weeks in total. But initially, there are 70 weeks proclaimed for the people, and then 69 weeks are to be accomplished before the Messiah would come. So that's, that's what that section is talking about. That leaves a seven year period still in the future, which we'll talk about just a little bit as well. So we see these numbers where 69 weeks or 69 periods of seven, that's 483 years, would come and then something would happen to the Messiah. So it's a very powerful detailed prophecy it's just not something that you may be able to use in all circumstances. Like the prison ministry, if you have just an hour you know, trying to explain all this would, would be a little bit difficult. Not that you know the Lord could use anything like this and someone could actually go study it. But to try to make it a little bit more expedient in a lot of cases, Daniel 9, chapter 26 is the one that I want to ver- focus on. It's very powerful in conjunction with Isaiah 53. Daniel 9.26 states, and after the 62 weeks, and that also includes the seven weeks, so it's really a total of 69 weeks. After the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. So if you'll notice, it says regarding the Messiah that the Messiah... First of all, has to be cut off. It's similar terminology to, back to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53:8 53, states he was cut off out of the land of the living, and it also states Isaiah 53 states for the transgression of my people. So that's what Isaiah is saying for the transgression of my people. He was cut off out of the land of the living. Here in Daniel chapter 9:26, it states, it states that. It had. I'm sorry. It states that he would be cut off, but not for himself. But we know it's for the, for the people. One very interesting thing and powerful thing with this is that it states that the Messiah had to come, and die prior to the the destruction of the Second Temple. So, that is your your proof text in a sense. Where if, if anyone would be thinking that was, well, not he supposed to come in the future, a Jewish person or or who knows what, isn't the Messiah supposed to be coming at a future date, Daniel 9, 26 states that that can't happen. It it had to happen prior to the destruction of the second temple, which I'm sure everyone in here knows, but you all know the the first temple was destroyed about 586 by Nebuchadnezzar. That was King Solomon's temple that was destroyed. So Daniel's prophecy came after that destruction, so it could only be referring to the second temple, which is whose temple? Herod's. So he's, Daniel was written 450 years before the coming of Jesus. So, so Daniel was referring to the second temple being destroyed, which occurred 70 AD by the Romans. So in other words, the way that you can explain it to someone, if anyone were to be thinking that, that the Messiah would be coming, if anyone knows any Jewish people who might be thinking that the Messiah would be coming, you have a text against that that would, that would prove that the Messiah had to come and he had to die prior to 70 AD. So again, our faith is is based on evidence, and that's just another proof text. When you put all this together, you have Genesis chapter three. If you want to put the whole Old Testament together, you have Genesis three, the seed of the woman was to be bruised. Genesis 22, you see the the near sacrifice of Isaac, the father's only son. In Psalm 22, Psalm 22, you see the method of execution where the hands and the feet were pierced. Isaiah 53, you see the servant to be bruised and crushed, striped, cut off from the land of the living. And then Daniel 9.26 states that the Messiah had to be cut off and it had to happen prior to 70 AD. So the summary so far is that our faith is not in vain. I hope this helps to equip others and also Strengthen our faith for equipping other saints, and as Pastor Tim taught, we need to, we in from Ephesians, we need to redeem the time as we see the day, the day approaching. So, um, just a couple of other things, where, um, since we have a little bit of time, some of the prophecies that actually have come in handy um, are prophecies that we can be seen, seen fulfilled today. Um, as we see talking about Israel and Israel starting to turn back to the Lord that's something for us to see and we can see it and really enjoy it knowing how important that is and what a mark of that is and um, other prophecies that can be talked about are Revelation chapter 13 talking about the mark of the beast that's one that that, um, I've been able to use in the prison ministry and, and even the street witnessing and I'm sure that's one that you all are familiar with as well, how you see that the people are numbered, and you see this around the first coming of the Messiah under Herod, where you see the census being taken, and you also see it with the second coming of of the Messiah under the Antichrist as well. And for whatever reason, some people that have been resistant to hearing anything, uh, even that the Muslim gentleman that that, uh, we ended up speaking to, when we were street, street witnessing a couple of months ago over the summer for whatever reason just some of the stuff that you can see happening before your very eyes he had been resistant and, and not interested until this very point and I had mentioned it just as we were leaving and he, um, you know he actually found it very interesting and was a little bit unnerved by it but it's something that you can see with your very eyes I'm actually, I haven't even been following the news that much, but it's, it's staggering the news that's going on right now. I, I think there have been, you know, between the hurricanes going on and then like three major earthquakes in the Ring of Fire, or something like that, the two in Mexico over the past couple of weeks, and then I think another one in Japan. All of these are signs that do seem to have people a little bit unnerved. Some of them may not be specific. Hurricanes have been going on for a long time, earthquakes, things like that. So we know. Some of it can, can occur over a period of time, but some of these things can also be very specific as well. Much of this centers around Daniel's 70th week, and just to talk about that a little bit, that's a period of time going forward, and for the church to, to be clear and understand, it's important to look for patterns where you see that final seven-year period. You see Daniel's, which is, which is referred to as Daniel's 70th week. You also see that seven-year famine in Joseph's day as well. So sort of a a relationship there as well, looking for these patterns. The final seven-year period, Daniel refers to the seven-year period, a famine in Joseph's day, and then Amos also refers to a famine, not for grain, but for the hearing of the word of the Lord. And it seems like as we get closer to the end, the deception will be more and more, and it's something that that we'll be having to to watch out for, um, and again, that's why I'm so thankful for Pastor Tim's teaching, just, just straight through the Bible. But for those that would, um, you know, for those that are us of us that are trying to trying to watch, all of these events are are important. But watching what's going on in Israel just seems to be a very important thing as well. Um, And it's exciting for us as believers just within the last couple of minutes here. What I'm seeing going on there is that the Messiah and the temple are the two things are inextricably linked. Um, Zechariah chapter 6, verses 12 and 13 state, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, from his place he shall branch out, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord he shall bear the glory and shall sit and rule on his throne so he shall be a priest on his throne and the council of peace shall be between them both it's amazing but looking at some of the websites there's a, a, a an Israeli website called breaking israel news and they they don't allow christian talk on there they're sort of they lean more toward religious judaism but it's very interesting to follow and they're using this very scripture now in order to talk about the coming of the Messiah. And so the sort of the disturbing thing is, is that when they've rejected the chief cornerstone, they're looking for the wrong person. This ultimately is referring to Jesus who will build his temple during the millennial reign. However, the branch, this person that they're looking for now because they've rejected the chief cornerstone, they're being set up for the deception of the Antichrist. So that's why it's important for us to keep studying the Word of God, preparing ourselves to teach and to preach and to try to save people from this very terrible time that will be coming upon the earth. So uh, some of the things that are happening now that that I see, and we'll close with this point, but some of the things that are happening now, and for those of you that want to check into this, and watch what 's going on in Israel the, the website is called Breaking Israel News. You can take a virtual tour of the temple just by seeing you can see that how they have all the construction plans you can just type that in tour of the of the temple in um, in Jerusalem and it'll come up and you can actually see but it 's the temple of the antichrist it 's important for us to, for us to realize that uh, it 's amazing that the Sanhedrin have actually reformed. It's something that hasn't been around for 2,000 years, but the Sanhedrin have actually reformed. All of these things are taking place in our day. It's amazing to see this happening. But also in Israel, they're calling the Cohenim, or the Kohen people, people with the last name Kohen, they're calling them to come to Israel to serve in the priesthood over there. In fact, they're looking at choosing a high priest. I don't know if they've actually done that. They had a candidate... And they're looking to restart the temple services. They're preparing. They just trained the, high, the person who may be a candidate for the high priest to restart the Yom Kippur services. That was just a couple of months ago where all these things are lining up. And why I think the Lord gave us Israel, or, or one thing he said to watch out for is just so we could understand the times and really understand how close we are. Because when you see these things happening, so far, to my knowledge, all the temple artifacts have been remade for the temple, except I think they're having trouble with the recreating the veil because it's, the veil was just so thick, and trying to create that through the ancient techniques is difficult. So they're, they're having some difficulty, but they'll no doubt get that accomplished as well. But all the temple artifacts, all the priestly garments are being made. They're calling people with the last name Cohen, to come over to Israel to serve in the priesthood. And they're very specific. They're very kosher. You couldn't even have been in a, born in a hospital to serve in the temple now because that would put you in close proximity with a dead person, you know, with the morgue in the hospital. So they're very specific. They're, they're following everything to the letter, and all this stuff is, is happening. And it's, we're watching, you know, we're seeing, we've seen wars. We're watching rumors of wars all these things have happened and, and are happening, Hurricane, hurricanes, earthquakes, famines, pestilences, all of them ha- are happening and have been happening, you know, for the last hundred years and, and beyond that. But the things with Israel are just so specific. And so, to me personally, it's encouraging. It's almost kind of like, you know, you have to get through the bad to get through the good. And um, it, it would be something I would love to study for our church. i I know Pastor Tim and myself and, and the elders and deacons and everyone. We want to remain faithful to the Word of God, faithful to the Lord, and equipping us for understanding the times. Right now, certainly we need to r- rally around Pastor Randy and the the Gara family, the the um, the Stone family. We certainly do. But it would be neat to, you know, have like a workshop or something like that later where we could put all this together. And just see how many things are actually coming and, and help us to understand what's happening in the world so that we would be prepared. I, I definitely my hope and prayer would be for us to, to walk circumspectly and, and redeem the time as well. There's one thing that I'll finish with this last point that um, just kind of hit me over the past couple of days. So take it for what it's worth. One thing that I think is important for us to to be prepared for the end as well and and even it builds my faith even seeing the bad things that that are happening and are going to happen I, I kind of get the sense we're just getting warmed up for some of the birth pangs and I'm definitely not saying it's going to happen within the next couple years could be could be 5 could be 50 could be 100 it may not happen in our lifetime but I do strongly feel we need to prepare our families and and teach our children to understand the entire Word of God and the whole counsel of God. That's so important. One thing that um, I remember being taught, and I was just kind of thinking about this, so I'll throw it in since we do have the time. I wasn't sure if, if I would even, but, but I remember being taught early on as a fairly, having a fairly new walk with the Lord. I remember the place and time that, that I was. I was a student and traveling to different hospitals in different states and visited different churches, just trying to grow in the Lord. And I remember being taught that the church cannot know the identity of the Antichrist. Cannot know, should not know, would not know, so don't bother studying it. I was taught that and I think that uh, that mentality does a little bit of a disservice and I hope it's actually not being taught in churches anymore that that the church cannot know or should not know or should not watch. In fact, that's for Bible-believing churches stating that you know we really can't know or shouldn't know or shouldn't study the Antichrist. That's in Bible-believing churches. A lot of churches are teaching that Bible prophecy shouldn't be taught at all. But even among Bible-believing churches, saying that you know these things don't need to be studied. But I, what I was thinking of over the past couple of days, and I didn't. This is this is a list of the examples of Antichrist people in the Bible. And this is just something off the top of my head, and I didn't like time myself to sit down like five minutes or anything and come up with as many as I could, but I didn't let myself open the Bible. I was just kind of thinking about it while doing the dishes and stuff like that. And so, so this is kind of the list that, that I came up with just, in term, just to kind of illustrate how much the Bible actually says about the, the person of the Antichrist, but not just the Antichrist, it may not happen in our life but other antichrists and and just it's an important component of of scripture to study but this is the list so um so here we are Cain Nimrod Esau Pharaoh and his false prophets Jans and Jambres Sether the son of Michael and this this one is iffy. the name the name Michael means who is like unto God and in numbers 13:13 13, 13, his name is Sether that's the only name in Hebrew gematria whose the numbers come up to 666 from what I've read. Haven't been able to verify that yet. I would like to. It's from a trustworthy source. But something like that, I would certainly want to know myself. But that's the only name in the entire Hebrew Bible where the numbers come up to 666, which the Bible is very careful to use those. Um, Goliath and his armor bearer, the false prophet. Goliath also having 666. King Solomon displaying 666, Sennacherib and his false prophet, King Ahab and his wicked wife typifying the Antichrist with the relationship with the false church, Jezebel and her daughter Athalia, typifying Mystery Babylon and her daughter, the daughter of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Tobias, Sanballat, and Noadiah, the prophetess who opposed Nehemiah rebuilding the temple, Antiochus, Epiphanes, and Daniel foreshadowing the Antichrist, The Antichrist explicitly starting in Daniel 11.36, Herod, Herod's wife and her daughter typifying mystery Babylon and her daughter, Judas, the man of sin referred to by Paul, and the Antichrist as mentioned by John in 1 John, and then the beasts in Revelation. So with that, that is the list that I was just kind of thinking of like, wow, that really is quite a bit. And I hope maybe one day we can do a study or something like that so